This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. We've got a lot of ground to cover, so let's bring on our first guest. This is Carrie Morwich. Welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Now, Carrie, I want to dive into this uh, paper that was fascinating. I got a chance to take a look at it that you have worked on that talks about digital goods uh, and the perception of digital goods uh, in contrast with the perception of physical goods. Can you talk a little bit about the genesis of this work? By the way, congratulations. It was published in Journal of Consumer Research, our flagship journal. So that's kudos to you, my friend. Uh, But talk a little bit about this work and sort of set it up for us. Sure. Well, I I had an incredible doctoral student who was working on a related problem, and he was thinking about why are people so attracted to buying tangible assets like gold? Mm -hmm. So if you look at historical returns, like gold doesn't have great performance against the stock market. Right. But people feel like there's a sense of security in gold. Like there's this idea of like, you know, if Armageddon comes, like I'll have a gold stash and I can, <laughs> you know, buy guns and like food and head to the hills and I'll be fine. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but, but so we, we were talking about this and, and we started talking about, you know, how do we feel about other kinds of intangible assets? And I was thinking, you know, like we – when we open our phone, like my phone is full of music, right? So mm-hmm. I, I used to DJ in, in college and oh, I, have nice. a wall, I have a wall of records uh-huh. and you know, I have a, like, I have probably like 10,000 records and in my phone, I have more songs on my phone, right? So right. a big, bigger collection of music on my phone, mm-hmm. but like somehow all of those songs on my phone, like don't have the same value to me mm. that those records do, right? So it's the records are, I had to take out a turntable. Like I have to set up my speakers. Mm-hmm. I have to, you know, clean them. It's, they're not easy. I can't take records with me. I can't play them on the plane. I can't play them in the car. Mm-hmm. The phone affords me these incredible experiences where I can listen to anything I want to uh-huh. wherever I am at any time. And, and if you think about digital goods in general, they're, they have these incredible advantages, right? So we can take them anywhere. We can buy them anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, you can go on vacation to the beach and you can have, you know, 10,000 books in your phone. Mm-hmm. And you know, think about two decades back, if you went to the beach for a week, like taking three books would be a hassle. <laughs> exactly. We can, we can think back to those records, right? So those records, if it gets the slightest scratch, now that the record's ruined forever. Mm-hmm. In my phone, you know, my kid can take my phone and throw it in Boston Harbor and I can pull out all the songs that were on the phone. I can mm-hmm. get back all the movies and the photographs. So, and you can think about the environmental impact of digital goods too. Like, so oh. the, the book that we download has a fraction of the environmental impact as the book that's printed that requires, you know, printing and, and paper and, and shipping. So there are all kinds of these advantages of digital goods, but consumers don't seem to appreciate digital goods, right? So we. We don't feel interesting, like- but let, let me let me stop you there, Carrie, because that's interesting. Because when you that's a fascinating uh, sort of setup. Because as you were as you were laying out this premise, and then you said, you know, well, consumers don't really value uh, the the digital goods in the same way they value the physical goods. That's really fascinating because you just describe so many more potent value proposition properties of the digital goods. So this hypothesis, or let me ask you, this hypothesis is a bit counterintuitive, isn't it? Yeah, I, you know, I think there's one of these cases where psychology really plays a critical role in value creation. Mm -hmm. So the way that we think about attributes of a good 
if we just looked at it from an objective perspective, like digital goods should be more expensive than mm-hmm. physical goods. We should charge more for an ebook or an MP3 or a video, right? If right. you're downloading it or streaming it, than if you have it in your home, right? And like that, that sort of paradox is what makes it what makes this question so interesting to us. Interesting. So uh-huh. We're we're surrounded by this incredible technology, and we seem not to appreciate it with the kind of enthusiasm that we should. And so because of this, that's the, I, I absolutely find this fascinating. You have opened up my mind, Kerry, uh, in the sense of a, a very interesting hypothesis. Because now as I think about it, if I were to try to paramorphically map the value that should be associated with the opportunity cost of my time and my convenience, then I should be mapping much greater value onto these digital goods, like you're saying, right? Right, you get them immediately. You can browse them. Right, you can read the first chapter of however many books you want to mm-hmm. from the comfort of your home. You don't have to go anywhere. The search costs are low. It's it's incredible. And what we what we found in our experiments, and we measured value in a lot of different ways. Okay, we found in our experiments that people really wouldn't they wouldn't pay. They were less interested in purchasing, and when we simply gave them the good and asked them to donate to a charity and like as a thank you, mm-hmm. they donated less money for digital than physical goods. Oh, interesting. And, it's not, and you know, we thought at first, like you know, we had our own theory, but we also thought there's like many kinds of reasonable alternatives. So okay. Maybe people, for example, like digital goods don't cost the company anything to make, so why should I pay for for something that costs nothing? Right? Okay. So. Mm-hmm cost nothing for Amazon to send me a copy of a book. Like, why should I, you know, maybe that is something about the production cost of the book. Gotcha. Or, or maybe the Kindle cost, like the cost for me to buy a book on Kindle is going to be lower than for me to buy the hardcover or the paperback. Gotcha. So maybe there's something about the market pricing. Okay. Or maybe maybe something like it's more pleasurable to read from the printed page than it is from an e-reader. Gotcha. Or that somehow... Listening to something on vinyl sounds better than listening to a three. <laughs> gotcha. And we looked at each of these kinds of questions, mm-hmm. and when we did statistical controls, none of them explained this relationship. Interesting. And what we found, which is really, which I think is it really interesting, is that with physical goods, we have the ability to touch and and manipulate them and smell them and, and do things, you know, have a sense of control over them. Okay. And that sense of control makes us feel like that good is ours. So we have a sense that this is mine. And that sense of psychological ownership leads us to view the good with more value than we would if we didn't feel like we owned it. Oh. And so it's a sense that I, had, I may have 10,000 songs in my phone, mm-hmm. but for example, if Apple can load a U2 album on my phone, mm-hmm. like, do I really own anything that's on my phone now? So gotcha. if, do I have control over the songs in my phones? Could, could someone just take them away? Or, you know, if I wanted to look at an album or think about it, like, how much how much control do I have there? Gotcha, Whereas gotcha. with the record, no one's going to take the record away from me, right? I might scratch it, but, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not on a subscription model or I'm not, you know, doing something else with it. So that seems to be the driver that we found in our experiments. So this is fascinating because one of the things that uh, I want to make our listeners aware of is that there's a big difference when you're talking about, this is why we love to have academics on the program, academics very scientifically 
try to understand a phenomena. In this case, the fact that uh, digital goods are perceived uh, and valued less than physical goods. But they, the scientists need to actually understand this at a very granular level, how this is happening. So they need to basically rule out all kinds of potential other things that might explain a relationship as uh, Carrie is talking about here. And so this is interesting, Carrie, because you mentioned that there were two viable aspects that popped out initially in the research. And it's like, hey, listen, there may be a cost inference that's being made or some inference about price or the production process. And you were able to kind of use analyses that either measured those things or perhaps manipulated those things in an experimental setting to be able to control for those things and show that that's not really what's driving this thing here. And that what is driving this, and I love this, is this notion of sense of control and ownership. So there's something about the phys- – I get, and I guess it is to some extent uh, mediated, carry by this notion that I'm touching, uh, I'm smelling, I'm, I'm using all my senses, I'm holding, I'm, 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 I'm cueing physical cues in my body, touching all these different things, smelling, hearing, that is giving me this sense of control. And then your point is, and you and your colleague's point, is that the sense of control really drives a feeling. A, it's really interesting. A psychological feeling of ownership that just causes more value for me. Is that? Am I getting this story right? Yeah, that's exactly it. And, you know, it has really interesting implications, too, for the kinds of boundaries on this effect. Mm-hmm. So, for example, this ownership model suggests that we should only prefer physical goods to digital goods when we expect to own them. Mm-hmm. And so what we found was we, we did a study where we asked students about renting versus buying textbooks. And what we found was that students who were thinking about renting a book as opposed to buying it, mm-hmm. when you're renting the book, you don't care whether it's physical or digital. Mm-hmm. You don't value the, the physical any more than the digital. Oh. But when you're buying it, you care a lot more about the physical than the digital. Oh. So if I'm, you know, if I'm giving this thing back, or you could think about, like, more general kinds of subscription models, right? Like, so Netflix used to be CDs or DVDs and streaming. Gotcha. Right? Mm-hmm. So in that kind of context, like, I might be indifferent between getting DVDs in the mail uh-huh. or being able to stream them on, on my TV. So that they're both sort of instrumental. I'm just using them to consume them. Mm-hmm. I don't expect to possess them later on. Gotcha. But if I was downloading the movie to keep or I'm thinking about buying the DVD, now I think the DVD is more valuable to me. That's fascinating. What's really interesting about this, Carrie, is that I believe I was, I was uh, driving into work the other day and I was um, listening to some uh, conversations on a financial uh, radio program about Netflix, and they were saying that Netflix is killing it. In fact, in fact Netflix has recently just raised its prices. How, how do you reconcile this with this effect that you're talking about, Carrie, in terms of, you know, we shouldn't, they shouldn't be able to raise prices on us because these physical, or sorry, these digital goods that they are giving us, we inherently value them less than the physical version of the same exact thing. So how do you, what do you think might be going on there? What's your, what's your thought on that? Well, I think with Netflix, it, I think it's an interesting question about how they're able to raise prices. I'm not sure that in that case, the streaming, the streaming kind of service that they're providing, people wouldn't be willing to pay more for physical goods, but mm-hmm. I think it's more about this idea of transaction disutility. Mm. So I have my credit card store with Netflix. Ah. Netflix has a pretty good idea of what my preferences are. Gotcha. They have a, they have a good search engine. Gotcha. If I want to switch to a different service, it's going to take some time for me to set that up. Interesting. I'm going to have to cancel my Netflix subscription. I also, most people spend a lot of time on Netflix, mm-hmm. right? So it's valuable to them. Yep. So. Netflix has proved its value to consumers. Gotcha. And so 
with sort of hit ideas of like adaptation, I'm used to the price, like a dollar more a month doesn't seem like a big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are sort of less sensitive to these sort of incremental changes over time. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if they were choosing between services, they might be very price sensitive, but when they're deciding whether to stay with a service, they might think more about sort of the hassle of, of switching their subscription. That's fascinating uh, response, Carrie, because I think it's a, you make a really great point here. It's like they, they the research shows that, listen, you know, ownership is a big critical thing here that makes you value the, di- the digital less than physical. But in the case of Netflix, they have all of these other value propositions that they've built into the, the consumer experience, including a kind of inertia around being involved in the ecosystem uh, in terms of like all these things that you were talking about with research respect to creating a kind of a sunk cost or a, a, a switching cost that outweigh any disutility that might be associated with not creating ownership. But I think what's also interesting about your your point, Carrie, and the research is that because in my view, they could also take your research and your colleagues' research and think about what are the ways that we can uh, create additional value by enhancing the product or creating uh, a psychological sense of control or ownership of these digital products. Have you looked at any of those kinds of mitigating effects? Like how, if I'm if I'm providing digital goods, what are some of the ways, if I'm a marketer, that I can create a more robust sense of ownership and sense of control that would drive a, a more stringent or a more uh, powerful sense of value associated with my goods? What are your thoughts on that? That's that's a that's a fantastic question, and it's something that we have, are thinking about, but we haven't done any experiments yet. But I have some ideas about what things that companies could do in this case. And so, um, uh-huh. so do you have any? A lot of work on uh-huh. customization, for example. Yes. So if, mm-hmm. if you're like Squarespace, for example, uh, runs a website service. They help you build a website, mm-hmm. and you can choose sort of what kinds of fonts you want, how you want your website to be laid out. There's all kinds of templates. And so those kinds of customization options that are offered in many kinds of physical cases, like if you're buying a car, you get to choose the paint color and the wheels and other mm-hmm. kinds of features that make you feel like that car is yours, that those things are pretty easily ported to digital kinds of goods. So mm. you can think about, you know, how, does, how do you want the experience to look? There's also ideas in design called skeuomorphism oh. where you take things like, um, you could think about iBooks, for, for example. So if you have an iPhone, uh, you may have iBooks. And when you click on the application, like you see a library that's arranged like a shelf with book covers. Mm-hmm. And so it's using cues of the physical good to give you a sense of what the digital good looks like. And gotcha. so my interaction with books on iBooks might feel more like my interaction with physical books. And so it might take some of those kinds of Mm. value cues and transfer them into the digital realm. Very, very interesting stuff. Kerry Morwich, thank you so much for coming on our show tonight. It was a pleasure to have you. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a a great program, and I'm glad to have a chance to share my research with the listener. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.